Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Miley Geeky in Boston. And we hit the record button, so we are doing another live... <laughs> Always helpful. Stand-up call between Patrick and I, and we already have a question. It, it's from Ben Croker, and he says, is Patrick late again? And I, I just answered yes. I, that's a blatant lie. No, I was actually a, a bit ahead of time sitting here wondering where you were looking for you. I mean, kind of your week-to-week with me kind of always coming in you know, at the very end of things. And then we, we went live without any uh, heads up, and I still have my Invisalign in. And I, I'm wondering if you can actually tell. I'm just assuming that you're late every time that you show up because... That, it's a sound assumption yeah yeah i mean you're you're generally just not here so you know it is what it is but anyway i wanted to get in and i wanted to start talking to you about something that i've been thinking about for a little while and i think there are lots of people that do well (laughs) lots of stuff but this is what i want to talk about (laughs) okay Okay. (laughs) there are lots of people in our business that they do freelance work and essentially when you're doing freelance work you're selling a service or you're selling your time Sure. Because my definition of a service is that you do the work for however long it takes. And then when it's done, you're done. And that's all you ever got paid. And that's it. Right. That's all that Mm -hmm. ended up ever happening. And there are lots of people that that do this. And but they, they look at people that are doing product work and they're like, ah, you know what? That looks really interesting. You know, I would like to have some kind of residual income kind of thing. Now, where you have done historically, we learned on the last podcast about on the Rosa Host, we learned about you working for a number of agencies and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But have you historically always worked on doing client work, service type work, or have you done product work or, or what have you done in that regard? Yeah, I mean, really, I've always, and I think most agencies are like this. They're kind of doing sites, getting in there. I'm sure there are, there are some agencies out there that do product work. I think of ThoughtBot here in Boston. Their entire work is, if you have an idea for a SaaS or a business or something, you'll build it, and they're an agency that does that. But even then, they're coming in, maybe they're supporting you for some time after, but they're not the ones that are owning that and yeah. you know reaping the benefit of it. And yeah, everything I've done has always been essentially, at the end of the day, selling my time and expertise to a client whether it's on an initial project or on a consulting arrangement thereafter. But yeah, basically building a site rather than building a product and then being involved in, you know, getting paid as as that product does well or doesn't do well. ThoughtBot, you know, or companies like that, they're really not working. I mean, I, they're not building product because they're not owning it, you know? Sure. So I, I don't see that as any different of doing any kind of freelance work because really what you're doing is you're selling your time to build this product for somebody else. And when they're done building it or the contract is over, then you're done and you just part ways and that's it. That's the end. In terms of me, like I, I have pretty much my entire life been selling product in one way or yeah, another, yeah. which is not to say, okay, so here, here's a, a beef of mine. Just because someone has been doing something for a long time doesn't mean that they're necessarily any good at it. There are lots and lots you, of you've people. You've done all right. Yeah, you've done all right. I'm not, I think I'm, not, I'm not talking about me in particular, but what yeah. I'm saying is someone will, will approach something and they'll be like, oh, you know, I've been doing that for 10 years or whatever it is. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're any good at it. So yeah, I'm fair. just prefacing it with me saying that I've been doing it for this long. Doesn't mean that that automatically makes me an expert. At this, at doing product work, I think I've been I've been reasonably successful. I could have been a lot more successful. I have always kind of been at least somewhat of a slacker intentionally. 
Just because I've always enjoyed, like, one of the big things I did, all the crazy stories we tell on Dev Mode, I traveled so much when I was younger, all over the place, doing all sorts of stuff, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to travel and see the world while while I was an able-bodied person, not while I was in my 60s on a cruise ship, you know, asking (laughs) what's at the buffet tomorrow. Like, that that just wasn't never my idea of anything interesting. So... I mean, well, there's I the old thing about how, you know, a lazy programmer is the best, you know, someone that's trying to do as little work as possible and get as much outcome out of it and, you know, write less code, but write maybe good code is the, the yeah. hope I think, of any I of guess, us. Yeah. I guess all I'm saying is that I was never 100% focused on growing a business and being and making incredible amounts of money. Sure. That was and, and I'm and the same way. I mean, I, I've been kind of a two man, sometimes three man crew for eight years now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there are certainly I could have gone back and tried to grow and be, get, get larger. But at the same time, and maybe you're the same way. I mean, people have talked about a, a lifestyle business or something mm-hmm. where you can work enough to have a, a, a good lifestyle now, be able to save enough for retirement. And but you're not looking to take on the world and you know build the next happy cog or what have you. I mean, all respect to people that have done that. But I, you know, I, I've looked to have a, a, a good balance between how much I work and how much I'm able to not work. And I, I don't want to make excuses for anything either. All I'm saying is that sure. I know for me personally, it was a conscious choice to not go yep. crazy and doing that. And if that's your thing, if that's your personality, you want to conquer the world by being incredibly successful at business and go for it, you know, whatever. It oh, just yeah. wasn't, wasn't really my thing. I always just wanted to make sure that I was enjoying what I was doing. I wanted to have some fun doing whatever I was doing, if it was possible. I wanted to enjoy it. And I also wanted to have time to do the things that I wanted to do. And part of the part of what allowed me to do that was doing product work for so long. Because if you do product work, you can set up an infrastructure around you that it's not on autopilot, but it's going to be okay if you leave for a month or or whatever it is that you do. Whereas if you're doing client work, you're literally selling your time. If you are on a boat somewhere, you know, off the coast of Belize doing whatever you're doing, you're not making any money. You're not servicing your clients. You know, everything kind of goes to a standstill to an extent. Now, I understand that you can build up a company, you can be someone like Matt Weinberg, where you got all these people working for you, and then you can go on a vacation or whatever. But there you have also built a product, and the product that you have built is the business. The business mm-hmm. is now the product. Yep. Um, but I want to talk about product work just because I think a, there are a lot of people that do contract work, that do freelance work, and they've been eyeballing it, and they've been thinking about the from the perspective of, well, it sucks chasing down clients, it, it sucks always building something for somebody else. Yep. I would like to build my own thing, or I would like to have something that brings me some kind of residual income so that I'm not constantly on the clock. I mean, have you ever had thoughts like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've done, I mean, so much of what we've done so much of what we've done has been built off of craft cms before that express engine and i've definitely found that we're building the same custom integration for client after client to the point where yeah i think this is how you start seomatic like man i'm building this over and over why it seems like 80 percent of the needs could be built into something that's more prefab definitely and i've actually we've done some early work starting to build that out but not to the point where it's ready to bring to market. Definitely there's some places where we're, we're just building the same thing over and in a way that I think someone will want to take it off the shelf and use it as well. Yeah, we've had that going on and it's something that I'm looking at doing, I think this year. It, it usually, it's typically in the CRM space. I'm trying to find places where by virtue of people being using that CRM, I already know that they may have the appetite for a plugin that can be priced you know, at a more premium that 
is in the ecosystem of what those you and I have talked about. So like what people are already paying, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to build a plug in then have to charge $19 for it and just hope that no one ever has to submit a support call for it. I'd rather have something that has a beefier cost. And when there's a support call, it's because they've found a bug in it rather than they don't know how to install it. But that's the Well, both can work, right? I mean, you could sell something for $19. You just have to sell an awful lot of it. Or the support costs have to be pretty low in whatever it is that you're putting out there. I mean, it's not that there are lots of people that make fortunes selling $19, $9 products. But I I guess what I would ask you is what is your motivation? What are the reasons why you're interested in building a product? Is is it because you're sick of doing it again and again? Is it because you are interested in changing the nature of the work that you do? Or is it a combination of these things? Or what what are the reasons why you've thought about doing it? Yeah, I I mean, it's almost like the idea of an annuity. I want to be able to do some work up front and then just reap benefits from it for a long time after. I remember who was at the, I think it was at Piers Conference a few years ago, guy who, Garrett Diamond, I think his name was, who had a, an amputation, I think, below the leg. And yeah. he talked about how important it was that he had started a SaaS product. And that was almost something that when he was going through a really challenging, to put it mildly, a medical procedure and recovery and, and all that, it was such a blessing for him to have that SaaS product that he, you know, he literally could not work on the business at all. But it, you know, there was just monthly recurring revenue coming in based off of that. Right. Um, there's definitely some desire to that to do some work up front and have money that comes in afterwards and you know, the old make money while you sleep, but also yeah, be able to <laughs> someday take more time off and not have to worry. What if a site goes down? What if this happens? What if that happens? I'm make sure money you, when you sleep sounds like the title for some cheesy book. It yeah. probably is right there there's got to be a book or a video series of people that say make money while you sleep yeah ryan ryan ireland's in the chat he's saying bring back the fireplace sorry dude it's gone let me see if i can step (laughs) back you see that over there it's gone oh right you 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 modernized well we already i I don't want to get too much into it but i already had i already had a cooling system up there but it just couldn't do heating below 30 degrees Mm-hmm. And you know where we live, you got to have something that does it <laughs> below yeah. if you want heat. So yeah. I could either replace them. And I actually called my heating and cooling company to have them service the fireplace because it was making some weird sound with the blower. Like, I think the, the fan was probably dying, finally. They came in here and they're like, we won't service it because it doesn't vent to the outside. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, okay. Then I looked into options. I could, if I wanted the ambiance, I could replace the with the fireplace. I don't need the ambiance down here. My wife has comes down here once every five years, you know. Something. So nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody cares really. So it ended up being that it was just about the same amount of money to get a new fireplace and replace it versus getting a modern, you know, heating cooling system. So I re- I replace it all. But yeah, if you could say, I keep yeah. going the wrong way. But yeah, I gotta I'm gonna work on cleaning that up a little. I got some shelving stuff I'm gonna put in there. But right now there's just medicine balls that are in the way. Yeah. yeah. No fireplace, not coming back. Sorry. Oh my God, you have been off video the entire time. <laughs> wow. It's been the Andrew so show for our video uh viewers. I'm so sorry. There we go. There we go. Hey. You gotta oh you gotta remind me, seriously. I actually sorry, wow. yeah. well I I got you on audio this time. So we at least we have the uh the, the recording to We've got something. Yeah, nothing but professionals here. We'll get better at yeah. it. We'll get better at we it. We're working. Anyway, getting back to what I was talking about in terms of building product. Okay, you're not going to make money while you sleep, okay? And, you, okay, yes, you may make money while you sleep, okay? That's I'm that's sure. definitely you, a thing. You, all right, so let's go inside baseball for NY Studio. Do you have like a Slack bot that pings you every time you have a sale? No. No, why not? That would be so lovely. Why would I do that? 
I don't know, just to have that Pavlov's dog reaction of uh, hearing the like, ding, like cha-ching, cha-ching, and then there's like, you know, when there's a support ticket that comes in. No? No, I don't uh, I don't have that. So we, we, <laughs> year, at years ago at Ambrosia, though, we did have a HUD. Like at the entrance, okay. we had a HUD that rotated and it showed the day sales versus yesterday sales, support tickets, and um, we did, did all that kind of stuff. I didn't do that uh, here. What I mean by you won't make money while you sleep, okay, yes, technically you will, but all of these things require some additional work. Like you build the product, you can't just leave it alone for forever. Depending, you know, it just doesn't work like that. There are lots of the market changes, the needs change. In our case, you know, you may need updates, you may, may need bug fixes, there may be competition. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think of it more like agriculture in a way. Like you do a whole lot of work getting your field set up, but you still gotta you still gotta plant and water it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not yeah. automatic. But I do think that if you are looking at having a lifestyle where you can live the way that you want to live and you can make money so that you can retire, you really kind of do need to focus on building your own wealth as opposed to building wealth for other people. Right. Sure. And I, yeah, that's and a really I, good way I, to think of it. Yeah, I mean, I totally get it. Like, you, you got to do what you got to do. Right. If you got the, this job coming in and it's paying money and you get your mortgage to pay, then, then great. You got to do what you got to do. But when you're working for somebody else or when you're working on someone else's product or someone else's website, you're helping them build wealth. OK. And you're, you're just getting paid hourly to do that. And again, no shame in that. But I think that if you want something longer term, something that will allow you to, you know, kind of live life the way you want to live it, you got to focus on building your own wealth. And the best way you can focus on building your own wealth, in at least in our skills, like the skills we have, is building your own product, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So are you, are you going to do it, Patrick? Are you going to build a product? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we've already actually, myself and Arthur on my team started development on a, a CRM-based integration. Interesting, looking at that there's an entire ecosystem for this CRM. And you look at what people are paying, and you and I were looking at one of these. You see that it's people are paying you know, 70-something dollars a month, and they have 10,000 installs. That's for a yeah. much larger install base than Craft. I think yeah. you know the fact that so much of what we do is in Craft, and that's where I think I feel comfortable working right now. It's a little bit limiting because it's just a much smaller base than something like a Magento or a Drupal or, or what have you. But I, I like the promise of craft and where I think it's going down the line. And I think the you know, the install base and the possible number of people we could sell to will increase over time. So, yeah, I see it. Let's keep me honest. Let's come back to this you know, in, in another stand up to check in on how this is going. Well, let's say you want to build a product. Let me just and again, I, I'm not purporting myself to be an expert. I've done it almost my entire life. But again, that doesn't mean I'm amazingly good at it. That just means I've done it for a long time. But some of the things that I think that you need to be successful at doing this. First of all, I think you need some personality traits, or at least it helps to have them. And I'm going to phrase them in terms of negative personality traits, just because I think it's fun to do. So I think if you're a little bit intolerant, I think that that will be helpful in terms of being able to build your own product. And Don't if you're a little woke. In, okay. No, 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 no. It's nothing to do with woke. And if you're a little bit there are a lot of woke people that are very intolerant, right? Oh, in, boy. <laughs> let me finish my thought. Okay. And the other thing that you need is you need to be a little bit impatient, I think. Okay. And sure. the reason I say intolerant and impatient is that if you're not a little bit intolerant or a little bit impatient, you'll use whatever the thing is that solves the problem, even yeah. if it sucks, like even if it's lousy, you know? But I think that people that are a little bit impatient or a little intolerant or they just, they want things to be just right. They look at yeah. something and they think, they, you know, lots of people will say, oh, this sucks. But those people will say, I can do that better. 
Yeah. I know how I can do that better. This totally should be something that should be fixed and this should be better. And I think it'll help if you have that personality trait because then you're going to be tempted to take something that is in your sphere. It's entered your sphere somehow. And you're gonna be like, I could do this better than somebody else did it. And the reason you're motivated to do that is you're you're kind of, you know, you, you want things to be perfect. And I, I'm telling you, I see that in you, Patrick. I see that as something that you can do. I see you as impatient and intolerant. Uh, it, <laughs> no, no, I've kidding. said to you before, like annoyance is my superpower. Like I, I don't want to build things yep. that I wouldn't want to use. Yep. Um, there are some people who might be you know, happy. Okay, that's fine. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I have one client right now and I've told them that I said right now I want to make your products to the point where I want to use them because some of your product yep. I would and they're in the developer realm. I won't get in, you know, obviously for obvious reasons. Won't say, but I'm like, man, some of these products like I would not look at actually purchasing, subscribing to whatever. Like, let's get this up to the point where I want to because then you're going to just hit this other level of people who give a smell test and say, eh, there's something not quite right here. I'm going to move on and find something that has that polish and that, I mean, you've done a lot of work upping your game on NY Studio to make your offerings and plugins and all that look better. And people can get that feeling very quickly of, is this going to be a high quality product just by your marketing and all that? And then obviously you get into the back end and there has to be well-written code that works well. But yeah, it's something that I think... I, I could do re really well. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and Andrea in chat is saying that impatient with action and patient with results, which is mm. a better way to say it. But I, I'm just using these normally negative words because I like doing stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. be intolerant, be impatient. The other thing is I think you need to be motivated. And I've said it a number of times, but a lot of people think they want to be their own boss. A lot of people are terrible bosses. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be motivated. You know, I mean, you just really absolutely have to do it because there are certain humps that you just have to push past. And if you don't get past them, it's just never going to take off. Yeah. But OK, so another thing that I think helps or will be really helpful in building something is it's something that you know about. Now, could you just enter a particular sphere, learn everything there is to learn about it and try to come up with a product? Yes, you could. But I think you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So take stock in the things that you know and the things that you're good at. And they don't have to be necessarily tech related. You know, it could be something else entirely. You know, maybe uh -huh. maybe Patrick is a closet cigar aficionado and he would come up with a, a cigar trading website or, or something like that. But take something that you're interested in, something that you already have a natural affinity for and use that as something that you're going to try to turn into a product or a service. Because let me tell you, man, it's real work. Like there's no, yeah. there's no shortcut here. It takes a lot of work to do this. And if it's something that really interests you, that's going to yeah. help get you over the finish line. As opposed yeah. to like, if I, what's something you have no interest in? There are probably lots of things I have no interest in. You builder. have no interest yeah, in. Yeah, I think about the craft plugin world, you know, building a form builder or something like that, like no interest in that. Zero. That is, and people, but part of it's that people have already done that pretty well. Yep. Um, to think about the craft plugin ecosystem, which is what I have in mind. But yeah, I mean, that, that wouldn't get me excited. It wouldn't get me going at all. But yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure thinking outside the box. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Ben Croker in the chat here said, you know, good to start by scratching your own itch. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly if you can find something that you know the problem really well and you have ideas about how, what sort of solutions people want for our video users um, we're looking at socks right now andrew has socks that I, I as someone who have very cold feet are a little bit envious of because they look fairly thick i don't know where andrew's gone but i'm sure he's about to tell us about his socks um no i'm not going to tell you about the socks at all because that's not <laughs> particularly interesting <laughs>
<laughs> just trying to see if I could keep the chat going. I don't know what that was. No. Okay. So Ben's comment about scratching your own itch is important, but the way you have to think about things when you're talking about making a product out of something is not just how do I scratch my own itch? It's how do I scratch everyone's itch? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and that is a big transition in the way that you need to think about the thing that you're building. So you might approach this from the point of view, okay, I'm a craft developer and I've noticed for a lot of clients that I work with, I have to build X, Y, and Z for every site that I'm building something for. I'm gonna build a plugin or something like that that allows me to build X, Y, and Z. If you keep your focus there and you just make it very specific to what you're trying to solve for yourself, then all you've really done is you've made it better for you. And there may be an overlap, right? There may be there may be a certain number of people that also have the exact specific thing that you have. But I think to really turn something into a product, it's kind of like it's cheesy because it's, you know, the tree versus forest view. But it really is. When you're solving the problem for yourself, you're focused on the, the tree in front of you, right? But you want to zoom back out and imagine you're picturing a forest down there and then look and see if you can enlarge that in circle to encompass a whole lot of people. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the biggest skills in building either any kind of a product, whether it's a plugin or a software as a service or whatever it is, is figuring out how you can expand from a specific idea into something that generalizes the problem and allows people to solve the problem in a generalized way. Yeah. And I think that's a skill. And I think that takes work because it takes work to be able to look at this is the problem I'm having. But what is this problem from a generic point of view? This is the, the specific problem. But what is this really? Is it a way that it could be abstracted and be more generalized so that people can, from, can come from various angles and then also find use from this? And I think that is an area where a lot of people stumble when they're trying to take their great idea and turn it into something that would be a product that they sell. You, you may love songs of the 70s, Patrick, but you're going to have a limited audience if you're doing a karaoke radio program for songs of the 70s or something like that. Maybe. I, I wouldn't discount songs of, songs of the 70s. <laughs> Best music was in the 90s and it's not even close, but yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say everyone like the time they were 13 or, or whatever is when uh, they think the music was at, at its peak. Let me think. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like, I, I think <laughs> new bands, I, I haven't picked up a new band since like my mid mid to late 20s, something like that. Yeah. Probably. Although I had a weird Rage Against the Machine revival. I was never really into them when I was younger. I got super into them later on. But anyway, you have worked for clients for a very long time. Obviously, I don't expect you to say anything bad about your clients. They're all wonderful, all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the, the type of work that you do in general when you're doing client work. What is that like to you? Do you like being on the clock? Do you bill hourly? Do you bill weekly? Yeah, uh, typically we've done fixed bid. We try to just understand where they are, what kind of appetite they have for the project, what they're trying to do. Do they have a budget? And if early on they say, oh, we don't have a budget. We just want you to come in and tell us what this will cost. Then I, I try to throw out some numbers just to get an idea of what range they're in. Be like, okay, or, you know, <laughs> if I say 50,000, will that scare you? And they'll be like, no, we actually expected this you know, to be much more than that. I'm like, okay, good. Or, you know, if they say, oh my gosh, 
gosh, no, we, we thought this could be like $5,000. Like, oh, okay, so you need like a WordPress template that we're going to stand up and spend some time on tweaking, but not building a really bespoke custom CMS like you can get out of craft. So typically fixed bid, you know, trying to set up scope early on. I love the rush when you start a new project and it's all just no, no lines of code have been written yet and everything is possible and you can do this one better than the last one and the one before that. You know, we have Nevin saying in the chat, we, lo- we all love all of our clients, of course. Although I think it was maybe Mike Montero, um, who has a great book, Design is a Job, that I've talked about before. That's not the fuck you pay me guy? It is, it is. Oh. Um, and he talked about specifically not speaking, not saying good things about your clients or bad things, because if you go and you say, oh, best client meeting I just came out of, and then some other client sees that and they're like, wait a second, he never says that about my meetings. Um, all right, all right. So you're going to be very mealy mouth about it. All right, all right, all right. I, I just want to be mum on that stuff, but... Um, <laughs> my, okay, let, let's, let's abstract it even more. Let's abstract it even more so that you can feel comfortable talking about it. Sure. When you sit down to work on a project for someone else, let's let's say it's something really that just has no interest to you whatsoever. How do you motivate yourself to work on this thing that is not yours and you have no interest in whatsoever? <laughs> oh, I mean, so first of all, I'm not the type that takes on a project that I have no interest in or have, I I almost have, like if I had a client that, I mean, I've had clients that are. But like financial server, some like just generic, gray, boring thing. No, you're wrong. I always find something to hook into and get myself emotionally attached to their success. I I don't think I would do well. And maybe maybe you're very tricky and are trying to get me here, but I, I find something to really love about all of my clients. Man, I guess if someone made like just widgets, like literal, you know, make, you know, maybe they're just like 3D printing things and drop shipping. Like you'd have to really work hard to get me to not right. find something to love about a client. And then I'd probably still just find a client contact that I thought was a great person. I'd just focus on the person instead. But I, I, I think you need to have some emotional attachment to your clients and client work so that it isn't just a job. It isn't just hours right. that you're billing and you get yourself really emotionally invested in, in the job going well. Yeah. And I think that's really critically important because, and that's one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time up front with a new client learning about their business, because the more I know about their business, the better I can help them, but also the more invested that I get in doing it. But I guess kind of where I'm, and I agree with you, like even if it was the most boring business ever, like it was a gray widget factory, you could still focus on the challenge of making a a really awesome e-commerce portal for their gray widgets. Or you could really enjoy the challenge of optimizing their site to have the images just perfect or for their gray widgets or the performance really just perfect and all that kind of stuff. I guess where I'm, I'm kind of coming at this from is that if it is your own product that you're building, as opposed to one for someone else, you have all of that and more. You know what I mean? Like you are invested in the thing. You yeah. get to choose what piece of it you're going to work on. And a lot of it is, I mean, I guess it's a little bit scary to an extent. Because you are not given a framework anymore in which this thing must happen. Like a client comes to you and they already have their prefab business. They already have their prefab problems. They need you to solve it. When you're the one building the, the, the product, you have to come up with all of that. Like you're the one coming up with the product. You're the one coming up with the problems. And that also is not for everyone. And I'm definitely not trying to steer anyone away from it. 
But just keep that in mind. And I think that's where the interest and motivation comes in. And that's why I say you should try to have both of those things because you're going to need it because it is going to be a little bit scary. You know, you're going to feel a little bit like you're kind of adrift in the ocean or where do I start? That can be one of the the hardest things, you know? I remember back when, when I was doing stuff a long time ago, before I had done much of anything with user experience, and I would just stare at the screen. I'd be like, where do I start? Like, what is this thing even going to look like? You know, and if no one is coming to you with any kind of that context for you, that can be a little bit scary. But I still do think, man, I really think that building product, at least for me, is something that resonates with me. And I, and I get it. It's not going to be for everybody. But I enjoy that more than I enjoy client work. I definitely do enjoy client work for all the reasons that you're talking about. I love being able to fix problems for people. They'll come to me with a problem and I love figuring it out and fixing for them. One of the other things I I really love doing is developer training. I really Mm. enjoy that because when you do it, the people are very appreciative because it's what they do for a living. And then they're kind of leveling up when they're doing it too. And they're real appreciative. And I enjoy all that. But I think from a a lifestyle point of view and from a generating revenue point of view, I think a product is the way to go. Now, you can also lose your shirt on a product. You could work on something for years and it just never takes off. In fact, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it in the craft and expression ecosystems specifically where people have definitely put a lot of time into things and yeah. you know burnout is a real thing where people just get in and between support and everything that comes afterwards seeing some really great craft and EE developers that you know takes a real toll having to support that product when hmm. and my guess is a lot of that is when the cost of support outweighs what they're bringing in and what they have the capacity to handle in terms of you know having to, having to having to do all that both on supporting the product just through code updates and all that and bug updates as well as just people to say can you help me install this can you help me do whatever how have you so, done with that over the last few years so i feel that if people are really running into that i think they've made mistakes up front before they've even put down their first line of code or whatever it is they're doing to build their product because You have to go into it knowing that a certain amount of support will need to be done. And you also need to approach it from the perspective of approaching it as an actual business where you have some idea of what your business plan is going to be, at least from the perspective of sales targets or how much am I going to need to be able to make to actually support this thing? What milestones am I going to feel comfortable that this thing is moving forward as opposed to not moving at all? I think if you get to the place where, and, and you can certainly get there by accident, where you get to a place where something is costing you more money to support than it's making you. Part of that, I think, is just not enough upfront planning was done. However, no one's perfect. It's going to happen, right? A huge number of businesses fail. That's fine. You have to be smart about it. If something is not working out, you have either have to come up with a plan for fixing it, a legitimate business plan for how you're going to fix it, or you got to get rid of it. Yeah. That's it, you know? And it's the people that get stuck in the middle that they have a lodestone around their neck and they refuse to get rid of it because their ego won't let them say, I failed at this thing. Yeah. Those are the people that run into the problem. You have to be able to look at it with a completely honest viewpoint and either say, I've got a plan for this to work or I'm going to cut my losses on it and I'm going to figure out something else to do. Super important to do that. Yeah. No, Would you make some good points. Yeah. Any other thoughts there? I mean, I could go on about it all day. Buddy. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's check in back on this because I do want to get something yeah. moving. I mean, it's not going to come together in the next two weeks. It's not going to come over, come together be, before the next episode, but hey, let's make sure we check in on this. I, I know you've actually done some sessions where you 
talk to people who are starting a business or running you know, a service and kind of almost doing coaching, you know, different people keeping up with each other and keeping each other accountable, which I don't know if you want to talk about, but sure. this could be a good way to you know check in on my, my grand plans. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've done before for people is I do have done weekly standups with them yeah. in terms of, you know, keeping them honest, giving them inputs, that kind of stuff. I, I just realized I never actually answered your question about you asked me how things were going for me in terms of support and everything. Yeah. Honestly, it's a it's fine. Like the balance is fine. The only thing I get somewhat frustrated with is I do have ideas that I would really like to do something with. And depending on depending on what else I'm doing, I just don't have the time to do them. And that's mm. the only thing that's a little bit frustrating for me. I know what the answer is, Patrick. The answer is you that's hire cool. someone. I know. I understand. <laughs> I've done it. I, I just kind of don't really want to do it again. Um, yeah. At least for now, that's where I'm at. So I actually may be contracting some work um, mm-hmm. because there, there are things that I really want to move ahead with doing. So th- that's it. But other than that, it, it really honestly is fine. I think that... Again, a lot of times, if you end up in a terrible situation, sometimes it just happens, right? It's true. Like, you know, bad luck, bad planning, bad circumstances, it all happens. But a lot of times you can end up in a situation because you didn't do the work up front, because you didn't plan this thing, because you didn't check the market to see what is the market like? Is this thing viable? You know, et cetera, et cetera. There are things you can do if you're just going to, and it's fine. If you just want to develop something, throw it out there and see if it works, that's fine. OK, yep. but understand that you're at greater risk of it not working out or or yeah. not understanding why it's not working out if you do that. Mm. And then be just be willing to cut your losses if that is happening, you know. Yeah. And Ben Croker is saying that peer reviews are something I think a lot of us could get better at, especially when developing our own products. Mm. Uh, I, I agree uh, with Ben that that is definitely helpful. I think that each person needs different things. Like some of the people I've done stand-ups with, it has been just to keep them honest, to make sure they're actually doing what they should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. And it was worth it for them to talk to me just so they could be accountable to somebody. You know what I mean? Because they yeah. had worked for someone else for so long, it was difficult for them to work on their own and have no one to be accountable for, right? So if you're going to do peer reviews or that kind of thing, what I think you should do is, again, plan ahead and know what you want to get out of it. Like know what would be helpful to you. Whether it's from whether you want technical input on something, whether you want accountability, Mm. whether you want marketing advice, but you really should do the work ahead of time. Don't make it just be, well, morning, Patrick. Uh, How's that product you're working on? Oh, it's going great. Uh, I fixed, you know, like have do the work up front and plan for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we'll talk about this again. But I I just wanted to get my views out there on it that at some point you have to look at creating your own wealth. And I'm not saying that you can't do well by working for somebody else. You can. Right. And it's very comfortable. And believe me, like I get it. If you got kids to support, you got a mortgage to pay. It's scary as hell to not have a dependable paycheck that is coming in. And I get it. That's why if you're in a situation like that, you should definitely do it on the side. You know, whatever it is. Yep. But I mean, I that's also, how I started the company. Yeah, I was working yeah. at the larger agencies and I was like, yeah. okay, I don't want to be, if someone has to downsize or whatever, and I can just be removed next Monday with, with no advance notice. That was scary to me. And it's why I started working on my old geeky, really on nights and weekends, sometimes on lunch breaks to try to build that up and get my own thing going where anyone's pipeline can really dry up and have issues. But 
that's usually something else is going on there. But you know, I, I liked at least having some control of my own fate in that. And yeah, and if I ever did go to another place or, or whatever, you, I, I still keep something going on. I, I, I'm the type that I, I wouldn't be happy just totally shutting off my developer brain at, at five o'clock on Friday. Yeah, and it, you know, if you can do it on the side. I think that's the way to ease your way into it because then you can have that kind of steady paycheck going in. You can also be kind of working on your your side thing and and doing what you've got to do. I think one of the most important traits that you have to have to succeed when you are, especially when you are working on your own, is you just have to be super honest with yourself in terms of your abilities, in terms of what's working and what's not working. And that internal honesty is absolutely magnified when you're the only person that's there. Like if you're part of a big institution and maybe you're not the best at the thing that you're doing, eh, no big deal. There's other people to fall back on. But when you're doing it yourself, as annoying and and as painful as it can be sometimes, sometimes Patrick's right. And you have to just accept that, you know? But I, but I really do think that if you're going to be starting your own thing, you got to be honest and a- approach it with some work and plan stuff ahead of time. Yeah, I can't remember if it's Andrea or Andrea. I, I apologize because I, I said it wrong at least one time just then. She, you know, and thank you for coming to the chat each each uh, week we do this. One of the cool thing, Andrew, that you and I had the opportunity to do was chat on Clubhouse. We, we love talking about what's current and in the news. So yeah, she started a kind of a craft CMS, just informal chat with a, a number of people from the craft community on Clubhouse. I think just yesterday, so it would have been February 25th, depending on when people are listening to this. Uh, Brandon Kelly, you know, CEO of Pixel and Tonic were there. You and I were there. I, I jumped in a bit late. Jonathan Melville from Dev Mode, a number of other people just talking craft. And it, it was fun. I hadn't had a, an experience where Clubhouse clicked for me. I had one evening where I was on and uh, Kelly Vaughn, I think her name is the Shopify, um, you know, I almost want to call it like an influencer in the dev community now, uh, but she does some cool Shopify stuff. We're on, people are talking about Shopify and just e-commerce at large. More of a, I was in there very much as an audience member. What did you think of Clubhouse and what do you think of that? I mean, you and I have been doing dev mode for a few years now. I, I could definitely see some sort of a, this is the first time we've talked about this, but some format of this where we also are able to pull people in from just informal dev mode office hours or something just to get in and talk what what do you what do you think of that what how did that go i think clubhouse in general is a cool idea but i'm gonna kind of claw back to what i was talking about in terms of product that if everyone just shows up and it's just an informal chat then i would consider it just entertainment you know and it, it's going to be whatever it is. And people talk about this. People talk about that. There'll be awkward silences. You know, there'll be yeah. whatever. If you want to turn it into something that would be super useful, I think you do need to have somewhat of an, an agenda in terms yeah. of yeah. things to talk about or here are the topics or and it can even be just like stuff that interests you. But Clubhouse doesn't have to be that. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong. With it just being this informal, casual thing. But I will say that be prepared to have somebody in there that is going to drive the conversation or, you yeah. know, keep keep the conversation going because it's a combination of not just people aren't sure what to say, but also they don't want to step on other people's toes and they don't want to, you know, talk all over the, each other and all that kind of stuff. I think it has value. I mean, I think it's fun just every now and again to get together with your peers and talk about stuff. 
I don't know what Andrea's plans for it are. I don't know if she wants it to be just like an informal hangout, which would be totally cool if people just wanted to wing in there and talk about, you know, whatever it is they wanted to talk about. Or if she wants to make it kind of topical in terms of not necessarily like an agenda, but if there is a lull, the the things she'll she'll bring up. And I don't know. Yeah. No, it was a good time. Yeah, I've seen some people who've said, you know, is it just like a party line, just a whole bunch of people chatting? Isn't this just a podcast, but done in real time? I didn't get to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I didn't get to see it. It kind of blew up on Twitter. There were a whole bunch of people who were at early Apple, you know, mid nine or maybe early 90s Apple. And I guess this clubhouse chat really took off. And maybe some people recorded it where people were just talking about personal stories they had about interacting with Steve Jobs. And I thought it was interesting. This was on Accidental Tech Podcast, but they're saying this was the sort of thing where they had 20 different people all in there going, you know, for hours and hours talking about personal stories they had. A lot of them have been told before on like folklore or org one of those but talking about some of the more new stories and to try to arrange that for a podcast and as you know better than most trying to arrange times and <sighs> get people with a good microphone granted microphones are all over the place on clubhouse but the the pure you know having 20 different people bring 20 different stories into a podcast would be a heck of a lot of work there is something very interesting about the almost serendipitous aspect of clubhouse where people just jump on and and it goes and it's out there once and then it's gone i have to think that at some point they'll have something more about archiving or preserving recordings yeah um, as the service grows and as andrew's had you know twitter spaces is I, i think a number of people are trying to say okay how do we do more around real-time chat and you know, this new format. It's interesting. I like the idea. I mean, one of the things I like about it is it actually reminds me of old-time talk radio shows mm. where maybe there'd be two people on talk radio like me and you. You know, we're, we're the, the guys talking back and forth about whatever we're talking about. But then callers would call up yeah. and, they'd, and they'd put them on the air. Well, I mean, that's what you can do in Clubhouse, right? It can be <laughs> just a couple of people there and then whoever wants to say something, you can promote them to, quote, come on air and say whatever it is that they want to say. Yeah, gotta keep it in check. I don't know if you've seen C-SPAN. Uh, when you just open up the airwaves, it can get interesting. I think Clubhouse so far has stayed pretty clean. And Right. Well, you um, are the one yeah. that manually promotes something. Yeah. Like, it, you know, if a tough guy 69 comes in the chat <laughs> and he's saying all sorts of nonsense, you're not going to promote him to be on no. air. Yeah. I mean, we know that's Matt Stein's alias, but yeah, yeah. Mean, still, yeah. we're not going to give him the microphone, <laughs> you know? Taco Blanco is the new Baba Booey. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, I think that the Craft Clubhouse chat is a great idea. I think it's going to become whatever Andrea and the community decide to make it. If they want it to be just an an informal chat that people get together and vent about their their client and don't want to have to worry about (laughs) saying something that they're ever going to hear, then, you know. They could make it that. They could make it topical. Still recommend against that. Never vent about clients. <laughs> not, not anything that can be recorded and used against you later. But yeah, Andrea, if you're on Clubhouse, I would say give her a follow. We're talking about hopefully being able to kind of schedule them. We're still looking, or Andrea's looking into if she can kind of broadcast, hey, at you know 8 o'clock tonight or whenever, there's going to be a chat coming up so that people can have this appointment uh, listening, not viewing, but listening for our Clubhouse. It was a really good time. The only other thing I'd say about it is that there's a, a YouTuber that I listen to named John Campia. And he does movie reviews is what he does. 
And he's he's really he's a good Canadian guy. He lives out in California, and he's really entertaining. And he said that you know one of the ideas that some people write in for him every now and again is why don't you just get you know like a random person from the audience to come on and to talk <laughs> about movies or whatever. And he said that that's something that they tried. He used to work at uh, AMC when AMC had a YouTube whatever. He's done a whole lot of stuff in the movie industry, and they they tried that. And all of the people listening were like, I have no interest in hearing what yeah. you know Joe Blow from New Jersey has to say about Teen Titans. You know what I mean? They yeah. tuned in to listen to him. Now, that doesn't mean that that's what Clubhouse should necessarily be about, but it is interesting that they have the the difference between people that are on stage and people that are in the audience. Yeah. And I think how you sculpt that in terms of who's going to be on stage and who's going to be in the audience is going to determine what the chat is like. If everyone's on stage, which I think is what we've been doing in the Clubhouse for, for craft, then it's going to be a very informal, you know, just everyone mingling at a cocktail party, talking about what they want to talk about. And if you do it that way i think you have to be willing to drive the conversation you know to be there's there's a reason why there are hosts right it's literally like a host's job to keep the conversation flowing at a party when stuff like that is going on like people when they're holding fancy parties they will literally hire people that they mingle around and their job is to keep everything flowing and keep everyone happy you know yeah they they don't they're cheap it's yeah it's easy to do yeah it was like when you're at a concert which you know in the before times that people would get together and listen to music and, and you know a live venue you know they i always you know bruce springsteen or whatever they it, you know they pull someone out of the audience and that person would get up and play guitar for a while they're not grabbing that person at random they're not just saying hey who can play guitar and they just pick someone out of the audience and oh, okay and they they grab a guy up those people are vetted beforehand i have uh, at least i think they're vetted beforehand because they're usually Maybe. decent uh, if yeah. you just brought anyone up who raised their hand it, it could be awkward and, and it just wouldn't go well but uh yeah and i think the same thing getting a feel for who's in there and who's going to have a good story to tell or drive the conversation in a good way is important. Yeah, I have to think if you had a, you know, WordPress is a many, many multiple times larger community uh, than anything out there. If they just had an open chat, it would be really tough. You know, you know, people who had never spoken in a format like that before or didn't know how to drive a conversation or keep a story going or, or anything like that. I mean, I think we still benefit this many years out from craft being a smaller community. It's grown quite a lot, but it's still comparatively speaking, a much smaller community that, you know, you have a good idea of people and have they done that sort of thing before? And you're making a really important point because just because someone isn't a good public speaker or doesn't feel comfortable speaking in public doesn't mean they don't have something interesting and important to say. A lot of times people are just not used to it. You know, if you're you're a programmer and you typically are sitting behind a desk working on a problem, you're not good at stuff that you don't do. You know what I mean? Like the more that you do something, the better at it you're going to get. And I think it's just important to keep in mind that just because someone doesn't feel super comfortable talking doesn't mean they don't, they don't know what they're doing. On the other no, hand, yeah, on yeah. the other hand, there are people that are influencers <laughs> that are not the best technically at all. They're just good communicators or good speakers. And that's an important and valuable skill to have too. I'm just, uh, I'm noting this just to keep it in mind that there are certain people that if you wanted them to participate in a clubhouse chat, for instance, they would feel a whole lot better if they knew what they were going to talk about ahead of time. 100%, yeah. Or, or they had like a bullet point list of what you were planning to talk about and then they could think of what they were going to talk about and they'd feel more comfortable then chiming in there. 
you know? Yeah. And it's just, you know, just something to think about uh, in terms of getting people in there. But it's not, yeah. there aren't that many people that are good at communicating and are also good at doing the grunt work. And it's just, you know, just something to keep in mind. There, there are lots of influencers, influencers that really do know what they're doing and are really, yeah. and they became what they are because of that. But there are also a lot of influencers that just are influencers because they got certain speaking gigs and they, I'm not saying they don't know what they're doing, but they're, you would never hire them to yeah. do certain kinds of things. Like you just wouldn't do it. And it's just important to to keep that in mind whenever you're looking at this and don't, man, I know, I, I don't need, I don't know if Ryan, Ryan is still here. Don't but, say that about Ryan. Ryan's... <laughs> I'm not saying Ryan doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that, I don't know, the whole idea of developers as influencers or celebrities is is irritating as shit to me. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. I kind of want to, do we have any celebrity developers? I mean, kind of like Wozniak, I guess, is uh, Bill Gates, obviously. But those are people that tra transcended development. No one's yeah, let, getting let, uh, excited. Let's put it about. this way. Let's put it this way. At a lot of the bigger conferences, you're going to see a whole lot of the same people recycled uh, yeah. and cycled through. And there are reasons for that. And they aren't always because they're the people that are amazing at the thing. But I want to qualify it. It doesn't mean it's not worth listening to them because... If they are good communicators, they don't have to be the absolute expert at the thing that they're talking about. You know, they just need yeah. to be a good communicator. And that's great. You know, we need we need that, too. Yeah. I remember there was a guy who wrote a, a book at one point and said, you know, in a very certain place, very certain sections of society and very certain rooms with very certain people, I'm kind of a big deal. And yeah. I think there are some people <laughs> yeah. like that who. Uh, yeah. And he, he kind of fell out after a while but it was interesting to think about that that there are certainly people that yeah are on the speaking circuit or, or whatever that yeah i mean i think their celebrity is very limited to like some very certain conferences and, and whatnot well I, okay so i remember something very vividly that i thought was amusing so as we've talked about before i don't really come from the the web dev world you know blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. so there was a while ago that some guy contacted me about coming on the podcast and you know we're, we're doing this for fun we we want to be entertaining and do all that kind of stuff but it's mostly for fun right so i just kind of blew him off because i'm like you know anyone who's like asking me to be on the podcast like i don't i don't think i don't think i want to have you on you know and then who did you say no to a number of months later a number of months later we were talking about getting a certain person on the show getting this guy jeremy keith yeah yeah and i'm like you know you what no I idea who he was <laughs> I think that guy sent me an email like four or five months ago yeah. about coming on the show. And, 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 and you guys were all just like, what? <laughs> what are you talking legend. about? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. how dare you? And, and I'm just like, nothing against him. Yeah. I just didn't know him. I had no idea who he was or, or anything about it. Now you need a Grammy access to the to the demoed inbox. I'm sure like Jeffrey Zeldman and all these other people are in there. Like, no. hey, look what no, you're no, doing. No. This was this was definitely a case where he came out with a book and he was willing to go on podcasts to talk about the book and promote it, which is fine. Yep. It's all it's all good or whatever. All I'm saying is it's great to look at people to say, oh, that's really cool that they did that thing. I would love to do the thing that they did. Yeah. But let's not venerate people too much. You know what I mean? I mean, come on. And, and again, this is not about Jeremy Keith at all. It's just, it's about like, everyone's just people, you know, we're all just like yep. doing our thing. You know, it's not, don't, don't make a big deal out of it, you know? No. But one, one of the things that I want to talk about just real quick. So I think I mentioned to you before, like some of the bugs that I end up tracking down, yeah. a huge percentage of them end up being environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which that's fun. Yeah. Happened again. Happened again. Spent hours tracking down <laughs> an issue in your favorite plugin, Image Optimize. You love to give me crap for it. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the plugin. It was the person had the thing set up improperly where both the asset URL and the asset path were file system paths. Oh, I, I haven't made that mistake in a while, but yeah. And okay. How did it work? Did and it worked like that in some environment or it was literally just wrong in one environment? And okay. even if one was a URL and the other was a path or whatever, they weren't right anyway. Like they were pointing to, <laughs> to the wrong place. And I'm not saying this to, to bag the, the person was, was very nice and yeah, yeah. I have no qualms about working with them to try and figure it out. So I'm not saying anything. I'm not making fun of anybody at all. Cause we all have I'm gotten the best there. of us. Oh yeah. Oh my and, God. We, no, I was going to say, and one thing that this is, there are little things that we said, like I, I have a very low tolerance for being annoyed when I'm in the craft backend and I'm looking at, I'm trying to remember what the fields are called. Like one is asset path and one is root path or they're not named in a, in a way that make it, you know, incredibly obvious as to what the correct value is. Or am I talking about a system path? Am I talking about the web route? There are a couple of places where I, I have a couple of blockers where I'm like, huh, is that the, yeah, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but I also wonder like, did you find, was this something in the craft asset setup or was it something in your plugin? And is there a way that you can come back and say, oh man, yeah, I can see how someone would have gotten this mistake in and mixed this up from their environments. And now I'm going to tweak it to hopefully cut down on that or was it on the craft end of things? I think it was just on the mistake end of things, you know, quite honestly. And the thing about craft is that it, it is so flexible and that is one of its strengths as well as one of its weaknesses, right? So it's fantastic that you can do absolutely anything, but there is kind of a big ask in terms of getting everything all set up and working properly. So I, it's really... Okay, so something that probably would have helped is if in the asset field there was validation that would say something like, this doesn't look like a URL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because if image optimized was never even invo involved here, this person would have had problem because it right, would not have, right. it just would not have worked at some point. But it was real interesting. Like I went through and I actually, <laughs> I improved and I fixed a whole bunch of stuff in the plugin in the process of trying to track down this issue for him. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel, feel bad about it. But then we got to a point where I issued a new build. He tried everything out and then he came back and he's just like, it's, this doesn't work. I upload a new image and it just doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> for this to be true, that means that my plugin is just so horribly broken that it fundamentally does not work. Stop it, Patrick. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the case because I know because there are lots of people that are using it. And I, yeah. if it fundamentally did not work, I would get complaints about it. And, and it's and, not. And that's. And so I think you raise a good point there. And I think it's something for anyone who is using software and about to report a bug to say to themselves hold on, I'm not doing some weird edge case, mm. bizarre thing yeah. where the developer clearly yeah. has never seen this before. Like I'm doing something that 95% plus people have done. This is probably on my end and let me take a minute before I report a bug to try to figure out because th this, you know, the sky would be falling if this was broken for everyone. So clearly yeah. it must be an issue on my end. And I think it'll just make you a better developer to try to say that to yourself and just be like, okay, if this is really a bug, how is this plugin not flooded with GitHub issues about this issue? Yep. Is something that I always say to myself when we come into a, a case like that. Yeah. And you make a good point. Like search GitHub issues to see yeah. if anyone else is, has also had a similar problem, which in fairness, lots of people do. Perfect. But yeah, I, I do the same thing, man. Like when I'm working on something and it seems like some part of craft is just fundamentally broken. I'm like, it just can't. <laughs> 
Brandon, Brandon Kelly, Kelly would be just yeah, yeah. Brandon Kelly is smarter than me. Like this can't be the case, you know. And that that's when I start diving through it. But but it does happen even to to Brandon. Yeah. So Ben Croker had an issue with sessions where he discussed it with with me and some other people. And I'm I'm like that that can't it doesn't make any sense to me that that would just be broken because there'd be so many people complaining about it. Like that doesn't even make any sense. But it ended up being that it actually was a regression that broke in craft in terms of people being logged out and so you know it does happen but you you do make a good point that take a step back and be like is it really possible that this is a bug in this thing how many other people would be complaining about it if this was a bug in the thing and then try to figure out okay well what am what could i possibly be doing wrong you know yeah and i want to say i I very unfairly besmirched the the craft assets volume setup um, when you're working with a local local uh, asset type, they're named very well. One is called base URL and the other is file system path. Could not be more obvious. I think where I've fallen down into a, huh, am I doing the right thing? Was before we had autocomplete for environment variables and one was called at web and one was called at web root. Complete mental block as to like which of these is URL-ish and which of these is file path-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, the autocomplete helps with that because you can see, okay, oh, slash var, slash dub, dub, dub. That's clearly the file path. But in the time before that, and I think it still comes out of the box maybe with those as default variables. I'm not sure, but that's one place where it just drives me mad because, I mean, right now it's there. You couldn't break it, but maybe deprecate it at some point for the built-in ones because it doesn't, www root, I've called, heard many people say, oh, make sure you put robots in your in your web root. And to me, that's a, a URL thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to loop back because uh, Nevin made a comment about what I was mm. talking about in conference speakers. He says, a lot of times, while they may not be experts, they have good messages or ideas to get out to an audience. I 100% agree, right? And it's not just necessarily the message or ideas that are good that they have to get out. It's that they're good at presenting them. The, mm-hmm. the problem I have with it is that it becomes sort of a vicious circle where conference organizers are incentivized to have name the big name yeah. influence developers that are speaking because that will drive attendees. And then because that drives attendees, that person's prestige. And it just ends up being this weird accelerometer thing to the point where <laughs> a lot of these people are lifted up way beyond what makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess it's just the nature of things, you know? That's how celebrity yeah. works too. Yeah. You know, people want to see a big name in the movie that's coming up, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of conferences, I... <sighs> What do you think of the odds of dot all happening this year? Dot all happening this year. I would say, are we talking about a live conference? Maybe. Yeah. Let's say live. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, I think they made the call fairly early on. Like we're not going to do an online conference. I'm sure they could have come up with a, you know, COVID dot all that would have been online, but they thought, you know, let's save and, and do it. Let's do it right. I'm wondering right now we're recording this in February. Numbers in the U.S. at least are on their way down, but the EU is still, they have a long ways to go in terms of vaccine distribution and all that. I'm really wondering when we're going to be able to get together and have a live conference again. So if they held the conference in New Zealand, I think that <laughs> yeah. they could do <laughs> yeah, except no one could make it in because New Zealand is no. You, you could make it in. Though. You you would have a quarantine rule to do it. You so I know because I'm an MMA fan, right? Yeah. And there's a New Zealand MMA fighter that he fought in January, and he is still waiting to see his family. So he yeah. had to he had to pass quarantine. He's still in a hotel waiting to get back in. I'm just saying, like, I'll, I'll tell you for for me personally. Yeah. 
only new New Zealand citizens or residents with valid travel conditions. So I think the MMA guy has you okay. know is uh you know special. Yeah. I guess you know. all I'm saying is okay, so I'm thinking about me personally. If there was a craft conference going on and I had not been vaccinated yet, there is no chance this year that I would go to it. Yeah. There just isn't. Now yep. Yep. if I was vaccinated, uh, Maybe, but I feel like the pool of people that are going to go to the uh, P- the dot all conference. First of all, I, okay, this is this is a. I'm going to go on a quick mini rant here. I hate the fact that every time that I talk about the dot all conference to someone, I have to say the craft CMS conference. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we were at the dot all conference. It's a conference for craft CMS. Like, ah, drives me crazy that that's not part of the name. Anyway, yeah, I think that. The pool of people is already kind of small and the pool of people that would be willing or able to travel has gotten that much smaller that even if they technically could do it this year, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't think, I don't see it. I mean, maybe they will, but I don't see it. They're already rioting. Isn't it supposed to be in the Netherlands and they're like rioting because of the the curfews that are going on there? I don't know. I mean, yeah, Amsterdam was going to be the the 2020 location. Yeah, they're rioting and burning shit in the streets because of the curfews. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Caroline in the chat, Caroline Blaker is saying January 2022. Probably right. Yeah, I think it's really wishful thinking to think this fall. Everything, and I don't want to get too far into the science, but I mean, I cannot wait to get vaccinated. Just what we've seen. I mean, you can look at the overall efficacy number, but it really does doesn't tell the full story of how effective these vaccines are at the efficacy number is just for zero COVID. But beyond that, even people that got it, it, you know, either asymptomatic or extremely mild symptoms, virtually no one ending up in the hospital. It's really impressive. And yeah, uh, my mom actually just got hers this morning. So very excited to see uh, all this moving along and hopefully getting to the point where we can see each other again. Missing yeah. Yeah. And so my brother-in-law, Will, who you know, he, he got yeah. his shot. Oh, cool. He got his shot. Nice. Yeah. And I, I've yeah. looked, ar- I've been looking around to see if I would be able to get one. And this is something I didn't know, but technically, <laughs> technically, this is working for me right now. <laughs> That's a couple big guys. Yeah, I know. Technically, yeah. I've got the BMI that, which is not actually, it's actually terrible. Right. So they're basically saying you're unhealthy, you're at risk. Therefore, you get the vaccine early. I'm like, holy shit. I'm just going to attribute to it to all the muscle I've been packing on by, by lifting weights. Same BMI. Yeah. Okay. And you've been working on for a while. Yeah. No, yeah, trust I'm, me. I'm fat. I know I'm fat. It's anyway, fine. Yeah. But it's not yeah, a I big mean, deal. Yeah. I mean, right now here in Massachusetts, it's if you have two medical conditions. And the idea there is like, let the science guide who we vaccinate first. I'd like to see teachers or uh, teachers and other essential workers are next up. And then it goes to people with one medical condition, which is virtually everyone because, man, I mean, everyone's overweight at this point and or a smoker and or asthma. You know, yeah. You're almost hitting everybody at that point. Um, which <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Overweight smoker. That's like Western New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or it's, it's an or condition. It's not an and condition. Right now you need two. Uh, and then we're about to go to an or condition. Uh and then it's really going to open up uh, the funnel. But yeah. no, I don't think, I think 2022 is the first that I, man, I would love to, like, I love traveling and I miss traveling. I would love to go somewhere this winter. I'm going to try and, and talk to my wife about it and see if it's reasonable for us to go back to Malaysia or something. But it may not yeah. be, man. It may yeah. not be. Because even if we are vaccinated by then, which hopefully we will be, yeah. but even if we are, there are country restrictions on coming in oh, and yeah. going out and uh, fuck it, you know, who needs it, you know? <laughs> It's just too much of a hassle. We we're supposed to go to Disneyland uh, right before everything started or right as everything was starting. And man, I, I miss travel and I, I just feel bad for my, I mean, I, if I had to pick though, I'd much rather get my kids back into school when it's safe. Oh yeah. The teachers have been vaccinated, all that because they need it you know, much more than I need to get out of the house. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Like the, the yep. biggest thing for me, for my state of mind is to have the kids in school, but also for them. I think it's yep. real important that they're in school and they're around people. Like you, we've got one kid that's a little bit of an introvert, the other mm-hmm. one that's a little bit of an extrovert, but even the introverted kid, like I still think it's good for him to be around people. And I think it, yep. I think it makes a big difference, but I, I got a couple more things. You got time? Can I rant about a couple yeah, more yeah. things? I know we're Keep going, going. we're going OT. Yeah. You got to have, hold on. I want to give you a chance. You got anything you want to rant about? Because I've just been going off. Yeah, no, I mean, Clubhouse, I wanted to chat about, which we hit up. Yeah, otherwise, no, I I don't have too much going on right now, aside from you and I talked about and have talked about just offline about possibly doing a product. So you've already kind of covered some of what I was thinking. Mm. Um, Where are we going? We're going to touch the Gina Carano uh, (laughs) bullet in the list. That's been on the... Yeah, I mean, we could. I think, no, I don't think we got enough time because that's like a, that's a big conversation back and forth. But I do want to talk about so one of the things, as you know, I've been talking about the stupid Webpack config for forever. But one of the things that I had mentioned that I did is I, I backported that Webpack 5 config to every single uh-huh. plugin that I have. And man, was that a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what was the pain about it is that at certain points along the way, I had made certain improvements. And then I had to like cascade and roll those forward into all of them, right, to keep them up to date. But the reason why I wanted to do it is when I sit down to work on these products, I want to be able to do the same thing for every product. I know how to get the dev server up and running. I know how to build the assets. Everything is going to be exactly identical. So I do think that the time invested is is definitely worth it because now I can go to sit down and work on whatever it is I'm going to work on. And I know I've got my Webpack 5 config there. I've got Tailwind. I got everything all set up to work perfectly. I got TypeScript going. And I think it was worth the investment. And I think that the short-term versus long-term investment is something that I think we should talk about on our next podcast because that's a huge thing. I see lots of people making decisions based on short-term goals and spending an awful lot of time and pain because of that. But that was really worth it for me to do that. And I think Ryan and I are going to live stream next week when we do it on CraftQuest. We're actually going to show off the build system that is built into it. And if people want to rip it off and use it for themselves, like they're more than welcome to. But I'm going to show how to do, you're using Webpack 5 with Tailwind CSS, with TypeScript, all hot module reloaded inside of the Craft CP, like everything working. It's a wonderful workflow to have it up and running. And you, you don't necessarily have to know how to how everything works to still utilize it and plug it in there and do something with it. So we'll talk about that next time. I'll make sure we note it down. But the other thing that I did, ah, oh man, the League CSV. Oh, hold is, on. Before we move on, I'm curious. Yeah. You're sticking with Webpack for now. Is that because, I, I'm only because Nuxt has been talking about moving to, is it Vite or Vite? You know, something in more snowpacky, something, it, it, uh, a bundler that does maybe less bundling, has faster hot module reloading, all those things. Any reason why you're sticking with Webpack right now over one of these? Is it because they require everything to be ES modules to run and you can't go there yet? Or... Are you thinking about expanding outside? I, I feel like Webpack at some point is going to be the bundler of the past as we've seen more and more things that are moving modules to the front end. Both Vite or Vite or Vite or whatever yeah, the hell you want yeah, to call it they... and Snowpack. I mean, they're they're very interesting, right? And they're both yeah. built on ES Build and they both do some really cool stuff. The thing is, they're both relatively opinionated. Mm-hmm. And as long as you are buying into that ecosystem and you're cool with those opinions. Yeah, there's Andrea, the, our French speaker. They, Thank you. It's, it's Vite. Yeah, it's, it's French French for fast. Uh, I did know that, but I can't read the little uh, pronounceable things they throw in there. So thank you, so any So anyway, Vite is very opinionated. 
<laughs> and if you buy into that, then you're good, right? You're fine. Yep. One of the things that I, and I have not gone the full mile to try to integrate either one of those and, and do the full setup that I do, but I do know people that have, and they have run into issues in terms of getting things exactly the way that they want it to be. Now, if you're already buying into Nuxt and you're already buying into their opinions about the way certain things should be done, you're probably totally fine. Yeah, in terms yeah. of being able to integrate this in the craft CP, I really want a Webpack built because I need to be working with all sorts of stuff. There's jQuery in there. There's lots of deprecated stuff. And I just, I would need the control to be able to build this stuff the way that I need to build it for plugins specifically inside of the CP. For stuff on the front end, it's a little bit bigger of a question. I do wonder how much of a benefit there would really be for me specifically to use one of these tools. And here's why I say that. One of the reasons why Vite and Snowpack are, are really awesome is when you have to build a huge project because the speed is really what they're, they're going for is the, the speed of everything that works. Even the relatively complicated, complicated websites that I've worked on with lots of view components and stuff, they recompile super quick in terms of the HMR. You still have problems with speed in terms of the HMR with Tailwind, no matter which framework yeah. that you're going on. You still have that. That's going to be probably the slowest thing on your list. Now, one of the things that Evan, you suggested is that if the speed is bothering you with Tailwind, then use Windy, which is something you can use. It's a really fast... Never heard of that one. Yeah. Oh, you should totally check it out. But basically, it takes the opposite approach of Tailwind. So what Tailwind does is it generates this huge glob of CSS, mm -hmm. and then there's a purge process where it gets rid of what you don't need in the end. Windy sure. does the opposite where it, it actually yeah, yeah, yeah. parses all of your stuff and it looks for the classes you actually use and it mm -hmm. does that at build time, at runtime, and it's super duper quick. Super that duper quick. That seems really smart, yeah. yeah. And here's the other thing about me switching over. So I already know Webpack incredibly well. Okay, that's, that's a lie. I know it comfortably well, okay? I'm not going to have the same advantage that someone who is just approaching something for the first time would have. So yep. if you're approaching it for the first time, the advantage that you would have from using Vite or Snowpack or Rollup or whatever it is you want to use would be that you don't have to learn Webpack. And that's a huge advantage if you don't want to learn it. That's already a sunk cost for me. I can just get in there and do it and everything works perfectly. Sure. And I know for a fact that if I run into any weird edge case thing, I know how to fix it and it's all going to be exposed and I'm good to go. So yeah. that's why I'm sticking with it. I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to looking at these other ways of doing things because... You know, there, there's also no reason why Webpack couldn't start using ES Build if it wanted to. Mm -hmm. There's no reason at yep. all. But I, again, I, I still see Webpack sort of as, you know, like it's a compiler. And at some point, you need a compiler. Mm -hmm. Depends. Yeah, that's fair. And Caroline's asking me, have you written anything about setting up Tailwind purge process with Webpack? Caroline, actually, I, I did write something up, but you actually, it doesn't really even have anything to do with Webpack. If you're using it's I think it's past Tailwind 1.6 or later or something like that. The, per recent, yeah. the, the purging is built into the Tailwind config. So you just stick it in the Tailwind config and it will do it for you. You don't need an additional purge plugin. You don't need anything else. So just go to the Tailwind CSS website and take a look at their config. Or you can go to the github.com slash nystudio107 slash dev mode. And there's a repo up there. And if you look at in the build chain directory, there's a Tailwind config file. And you can see how I have it set up there. But you don't yeah, actually think, need to do anything special with it. Yeah, I think looking at this version 1.8, it became a feature. And I think ver Tailwind 2, I think now it's on by default that it'll yep. 
automatically purge things for you and you don't need that extra build build stuff there. But ultimately I think build tools are kind of boring. Like I I do get some satisfaction out of build, making them work, but ultimately they're kind of boring and you just want to build the thing that you want to build. So the reason yeah. why I'm using Webpack is I know it, it can build the thing that I want to build. I've got a new Webpack 5 config that I think is super easy to understand and extend and, and do stuff with. So I'm real comfortable with that for now, but I'm certainly not opposed to, to trying something else, you know? Yeah, as I said, I get annoyed. And every time, every second I'm there waiting for Webpack to compile or recompile, I'm like, maybe this could be faster. Is there another tool what, out there? What part are you waiting on, though? That's the important thing, because I, I doubt it's the JavaScript that you're waiting on. Yeah, starting up containers, getting all that to, to get going, I, things like that. The actual HMR, the actual, you know, recompiling of a small component is pretty darn quick. Well, I mean, that's we all care about different kinds of speed. Yeah. The kind of speed that I care about is that the HMR is good because when I'm in a project, I'm going to be in there for a couple hours. I don't care that I grabbed a cup of coffee while I waited for it to spin up. Like I just don't yep. care. It makes oh. no difference to me. Yeah. But anyway, the other one thing I wanted to to get off my chest because it's annoying the crap out of me is <laughs> major version package compatibility. Like issues that and a big one is this league um, yeah, CSV you know, yeah. package. Is that still an issue right now for PHP? eight or what's the i'm not even sure yeah whether, but it, here's the the retour like the import and export i think broke with maybe php 8 because league csv was doing something need to be you needed to be moving up to nine but then it would go ahead it was about um kind of having to write code for both eight and nine as i understood it at the end of the day yeah so i mean this is a general problem when you're using packages and Let's say I'm using version one, or let's use a real world example. Let's say I'm using version eight of the package. Yep. And some other plugin developer said, oh, you know what? I'm gonna use this new version nine of the package. Well, now you can't install both plugins because they have right. conflicting versions and there is no way in Composer that you can have these packages be versioned, which it actually mm -hmm. would make sense if you could. I see no reason why they couldn't have built it into the spec where you would have a different version package used by, it totally is doable, they just decided not to do it, which is fine. But the, the issue comes up for exactly that scenario. Like what if one plot plugin needs version nine and the other one needs plugin eight? Well, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And you also run the other way is if I upgrade to version nine, well then people that are using other stuff that depend on version eight, now they can't use my plugin. So you kind of need everyone to get together as a group and say, okay, we're all using the new one, but that's just never gonna happen, right? That's hurting cats is never ever gonna happen that everyone yeah. moves all at once. So what I've had to do is I've, I'm refactoring it so that it will use either version of the API, which means that I'm writing conditional code in there that says, if you're running version eight of the API, you do this. If you're running version nine of the API, then you do that. Ugh. And it really sucks, yeah, but there's no other way around it. And there are yeah. two reasons why it sucks. So one reason is just when you're doing the coding, the code is gonna be marked as wrong Yep. for one of the functions, like all the autocomplete, all the code sense, all that kind of stuff, because those methods won't be there. So what you have to do is you have to manually install the version of the package that you want, and then you have to rebuild everything with auto load, and then you have to test it, and then you have to remove that, and then you have to add in the other package, and then you have to test that and, and do that whole kind of pathway. And so that's what I'm in the middle. I just released an update to the WebPerf plugin that can use either one. And I'm working on an update to the Retor plugin that can use either one. And I've got the code committed, but not tested. So 
Okay. We'll see. Well, if you need someone to test it, I'm happy to. I've got a PHP 8 site. And yeah, I found for whatever reason, yeah, I think it was income. It, it needed nine to, ver- to work properly on PHP 8. It needed that, that CSV library at V9, um, yeah. which <laughs> I'm about to go live. And I'm like, all right, pull in the final redirect before we go live. And boom, everything just blew up. And yeah, that was fun. That was fun. You weren't testing it on PHP 8 locally? I did, but I didn't. I mean, I didn't touch. I, I test to make sure the site worked properly. And I didn't go in and test every feature of every plugin I had installed. No. Yeah, and so Ben Croker is asking, so the API changed from version 8 to version 9? I guess it did. <laughs> I guess it did. Yeah. I- interestingly, though, not for exporting. So if you're exporting, you can just require... Reading much more than writing, yeah. If you're just exporting to a CSV in your composer.json, if you're a plugin developer, you can put caret 8.0 pipe pipe or caret 9.0 so that it can require either version 8 or version 9. And the exporting will work. I think I think 100%, I'm not sure. At least mine, none of mine needed anything to work. But the importing API is totally different. And yeah, you need a totally separate code path to do the importing stuff, depending on which version you're using. And it yeah. really sucks, but this is a, it's not just a problem with League. It's kind of a general problem. Because you're always going to have some plugin that's using some old version of something or other, you know? And then let's say everyone jumps to supporting version 9. Well, maybe version 9 is going to require PHP 7.4 or later. So then maybe their server isn't running PHP 7.4 or later, and maybe it can't run it for whatever. Like, it just... (laughs) <laughs> it ends up really sucking, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you do at that point. I mean, it, you still technically support Craft 3.0 RC1 at this point, do you? Or, or are some of your plugins having to use newer APIs in Craft and can't go back to the, to the old 3.0? I think only SEOmatic requires like 3.1 something. Okay. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was like, eh, you know what? If you're not on 3.1, <laughs> I mean, it, all it means is you're just not going to get the new updates. It doesn't mean the old sure. plugin is going to stop working. Have but you had any compromises in your code to make to not use newer APIs that have come up, come up in Craft 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, we're up to 3.6 now, or what you're doing, you tend not to need the new hotness behind the scenes. How dare you, Patrick? Of course, I'm using the new hotness. How dare you? How oh, dare oh you? so you're you're writing if three o use the old crunchy way and if three oh geez you're a good man. Well, look, you can either do when you're when you have to have conditional stuff like this, depending on the version of the thing that you're running on. Mm-hmm. You either do it at build time, right, which is when you're writing the code, yeah. and then you say this thing must run on this or later, or you do it at runtime where you check. What version Uh am I running? And then conditionally enable features. And I think I, more than just about any plugin developer, have been crazy about going in and putting conditionals in so that I can conditionally add functionality. You know, because no, absolutely. Like every, any new thing that comes out in craft that I think reasonably my plugins could benefit from, whether it's GraphQL or project config or whatever, I add it in there, but I throw it under a conditional. Yeah. Do you keep... I don't know, Docker containers or however you have it set up, do you have different environments so you can go back and run tests against older versions of craft? I don't. That's something that should be in my CI setup because I do mm-hmm. have the tests running that run on yeah. deploy. And I yep. should be running that against multiple versions of craft. Currently, I'm not, however. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Ben so Croker is saying the same thing. He says he, tolerate, he tolerates old craft three APIs until craft four. And yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where I just look at it. I'm like, you know what? I want to be inclusive. I want as many people to be able to run this stuff as possible. 
I don't want to give people headaches with cascading versioning stuff like we talked about before, where they got to update to this version of that, which requires a new version of PHP. And because at some point they're just going to say, screw it, I'm not going to update. You know, at some point it's not worth updating their server and DevOps may be like black magic to them. It's just not <laughs> worth updating the version of PHP that's running on their server so it can use the composer package that your plugin update uses. Like there's just not, at some point it's just not worth it. So I yeah. think it makes sense for me to spend a little bit of time add the conditional code. Yes, it adds some complexity. Yes, it doesn't look as pretty, but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, very cool. And that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. We went way over time on this one, so please like, subscribe, review, do all those things. Patrick, thanks for coming on. I expect you to spend the majority of time ranting next time we get on here. That sounds good. All right. (laughs) Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. I've been reluctant to play that music on here, Patrick, because I, I don't want to get like... You'll get a DMCA takedown or whatever it is, yeah. No, uh, so we, we get those for the audio that I put up on YouTube, but it's only in Denmark and South Korea or something. Really? Ah, it's really weird, yeah. Huh. yeah. It's really weird. Maybe it's short enough to be fair use. Anyway, I'm stopping you know. this now. Cool. <laughs>